0: Well, a good afternoon to everyone. It's a joy to be here and fellowship with you all. So I have the opportunity this afternoon to share my personal testimony. I'd like to share with you my conversion experience in hopes that it can be a, a benefit to you. <clears throat> I don't have a the great and exciting story necessarily is uh, as we tend to think of exciting conversion stories. But it is, conver- it is exciting because it was personal for me. And um, I'd just like to uh, share a little of our purpose for these uh, testimonies. I was part of the committee, and we decided to do this and sharing testimony, and I would have been very happy to just listen to other men share their stories, but I'm also willing to just stand up and share my own uh, in hopes that it can be an encouragement to you. I'd like to read several verses if you turn in your Bible to the little book of Philemon. In the New Testament comes right after Titus and just before Hebrews. Philemon, verses 4, 5, and 6. I thank my God, making mention of Thee always in my prayers, hearing of Thy love and faith which Thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of Thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And I especially want that last verse there, and the thought that. The communication of thy faith, and that word communication has several different aspects. It could, it uh, perhaps, means a, a fellowship, a um, a living out, but it may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And what I share to you today, and all that. Uh, God has done in my life is because of Jesus Christ it's not of myself but of Christ and so I want to share the good things that Christ did for me and I encourage you to do likewise it is an effective way to communicate and share about the faith and the gospel is to share the good things that God has done in your life So just an encouragement uh, to testify for the Lord and to open your mouth and share what good things God has done for you and others may be encouraged. Well, I could make my story fairly short because it's fairly simple. But I will expand it a bit to just explain some of the background and some of my thoughts and struggles when I came to the point of salvation in a a new birth experience. I was 15 years old when I was born again. And I had come under conviction. And I took the initiative to talk to my pastor and he said, well, we can we can take care of the matter here. If you feel like you're ready to be born again, we can pray. And so he opened the scriptures to me and read a few passages, and and then we knelt down, and he let me pray, and I just prayed. And it wasn't a long prayer, but just a prayer of contrition and repentance before God, and and after I had prayed and asked God to save me, then He prayed. And then we got up and I went home. And I wondered, is this going to be different? And it was. The next morning. I had a witness in my heart that I had not had before and it worked amazing isn't it well it was to me because one of my, uh, one of my struggles had been what, what if it doesn't work what, what makes this real how do I know And perhaps you've struggled with some of those thoughts. Now, to just give you a little background, I grew up in a godly home. I went to church from my youth. Uh, What it says there in... uh, the book of Timothy that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures well that was me. I went to church from my earliest memories we read the Bible at home my parents were godly and they taught me in the right ways and and further the church where I grew up a conservative Mennonite church they taught the new birth and so that was clear from my growing up years I knew it that in order to enter into the kingdom of God, a man must be born again. And as I think about the conditions the world over and mission work in, there are many people around the globe where the concept of being born again would be make you a target of scorn, and ridicule, and perhaps even death. But that was not my experience, because in my environment, in the church I went, it was welcome. It was expected. If you got born again, people would would be glad for you, and rejoice with you. And I just think of what a tremendous privilege that was. I didn't really, you know, think through all that back then, and and it's been enough years in the past that I've had much opportunity to think back and reflect and, and to recognize even privileges that I had that I, I didn't really think about at the time. But I do thank God that I grew up being taught that it was necessary, good, and right to be born again. You must be born again to enter into the kingdom. So that really wasn't a question, but there was in the back of my mind still the question of, so how does this work and how do you know? And of course, I had my conscience to deal with as I was growing up. And I had, I think uh, in our church, we had twice a year we would have special meetings where Generally, a guest speaker would come in, and there would be preaching, and and I know at least in one of those, uh, every year they would have an altar call. I mean, it was kind of an evangelistic meeting, and they would have altar calls, and people would go forward, and and people would get saved, and so all those things were familiar to me. I I understood it, and. And yet, I didn't. In a sense, how how to make this real and personal? Well, I do recall. At the age of, I believe it must have been about thirteen, I responded at an altar call, one of those meetings, and and I went forward. And I remember a friend of mine, close friend of mine, had asked me that evening. I was seated beside him, and he asked me if I. And maybe he sensed I was under conviction, I'm not sure, but he said, "Wouldn't you know, don't you think you should maybe go forward and, and be converted? Well, yeah, that seemed like the right thing because I was under conviction. So I went forward and they took me back to another room and, we, and I prayed with the pastor and, and, and my conscience was cleared. I felt better the next morning and I made some confession to my parents. I knew that I had disobeyed them and so I confessed that to them and and I was free and clear and at the time I would have thought, well, I you know, I must be saved now because I, I went forward, I prayed and my conscience is clear but as time went on, I... Um, I realized that nothing had really changed, everything just kind of went on as normal, and I didn't really have power in my life that I could say anything was definitely different. I mean it just sort of sort of like it always was. but I didn't want to think too deeply about those things because you know that conscience can always be a troubling thing when when things aren't right well. And now I'm getting to the point that led up to my conversion. There was an announcement made in our church that there will be a baptismal class, and it was typically uh, a preparatory time of instruction before they would baptize. So they announced that all those who want to be baptized should uh, come for this instruction class. And it's interesting as I reflect back on how the Lord used that to bring me to a point of decision. But as I I considered it, there was there was conflicting feelings and thoughts in my mind. On the one hand, I thought I was probably viewed as a as a good boy because I, you know, I was fairly obedient and compliant outwardly at least but inwardly there was always that you know that wrangling and so i thought it was probably expected that i would go to the instruction class and be baptized because after all some years before i had i had uh, responded in an altar call and i'd prayed and and so surely everything must be right except that conscience told me that, no, it's not all right. But it put me in a dilemma because, and and here's how I say it now, I I probably couldn't have stated it that way back then, but I didn't want to look like the sinner that I was. You see, that was, you know, that would be admitting to something that, you know, that... uh, it, it, You know, it, it wasn't complete back then or something. So my father asked me if I want to go, if I think I will go to the instruction class. And right away, I I didn't want to. I think I said something about, uh, well, I, I thought maybe I wouldn't. You know, I, because I didn't want to deal with... Uh, the issue and and while on the one hand i didn't want to admit to be the sinner that i was the other side was i was also frightened to be a hypocrite and just go to the class and be baptized and pretend like everything was fine when that conscience still told me it wasn't so what to do and somewhere i and I know, as I look back, God was dealing with my heart and just uh, um, with conviction. and And so I came up with a plan. I decided that I would go to the first class, but I really need to take care of this matter and get it settled. And that was... Kind of how I reasoned I would get out of my dilemma. <laughs> and so I went to the first class. And after the class was over and, and he dismissed us all, um, I asked him if I could, I could talk to him a little bit. This is the pastor of the church. And, and he said, well, sure. So after everyone else left, I just told him, you know, I'm, I'm not born again. i I don't think i'm ready i don't uh you know my my conscience is not clear i just i'm just not born again and at that point he said well we can you know you can take care of this and so he opened the scriptures and read uh i know i remember clearly uh 1 John 1.9 about confessing our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he had a few other scriptures that he read and and I was ready in my heart and and so he said, well, we can just kneel down here and pray And, and so we did. And I got born again. Now, all the way up to this and, and even at this point it was still that question so how do I know? and what if it's just like it was two years ago that nothing really changed after that so how will I know? it, it just seemed too simple almost like we're just praying again is going to you know is really going to change things and and yet, I knew that's that's what it's supposed to be, and and I remember the next morning, just having that sense of a clear conscience, and God did something, <laughs> put that witness in my heart that things are different, and I think back. And no, without a doubt in my mind that was when God performed the operation in my heart to allow me to enter into the kingdom. Now, I have counseled many, many people in the years since then. Led a number through to salvation and prayer. And... It seems like every story is a little different. You know, Every, not every person's experience is just the same. But I do know that there are some common things that we tend to, to struggle with in our mind, and I can remember back in my own experience the questions and the struggles, some of them at least, that I had, and just the, the question of how... How can this work? And, and, you know, what if I go forward and pray and then nothing happens? And I can just testify in my experience that there is a unique operation of God that takes place when he transforms a heart and puts that witness of the spirit in your heart. Now it doesn't mean that everything was just fine from that day forward. I had many struggles. And I would say there were periods of barrenness if you will just, you know, not not feeling very fruitful or productive in the kingdom. I was I was new and I had a lot of things to learn and God had some really severe lessons. Uh, for me as life went on but I still think back of that day and can say of a surety that God changed my heart that day and I entered into the kingdom real simple but still transforming And then I think back. So what happened two years earlier when I responded at an altar, and and I prayed, and my conscience was clear. But how was that different than two years later? And I this is this is what I say, and I've encouraged others who had similar questions. Is that? God does not despise a heart that's turned toward him. And even though in, in my experience I look back and say, well, it was not my conversion experience, that at age 13, but it was a heart wanting to go after God. I, and in sincerity I went forward and I do believe that God met the need at that hour and my conscience was cleared. But it was not the final or the more thorough work. What, um, what I think of is in Colossians chapter 2 where he uses the phrase the operation of God. Now in that context he's speaking about the resurrected life. Like as Christ was raised from the dead, we also die and he raises us to a new life. It's that transforming work that he calls the operation of God. And I think of that as so central to a salvation experience. It's not just that we make a decision. It's not just that our feelings change. All those are part of it, but the true change comes by the operation of God where our sins are taken care of and we he he puts a new heart in us and gives us a changed life and so if you struggle with questions in your mind have am i saved am i not saved what happened back then Why is my conscience not clear? Here's my advice. Take where you are today and if your conscience is not clear then today is the day to make it clear. Just take a step of faith and say, God, I need a transforming work. Can you save me? And God will take you where you are What happened in the past is not wasted. God does not despise any steps toward him. Nor will he just make it for naught. We're tempted to think, well, it didn't work back there. Don't think about it in those terms. But if your conscience is not clear today, then get it clear today is the day of salvation today is the day we can make a make a choice we can as it were some have called it driving in a stake you know that that from this day forward things are different but don't despise what went before God uses those things as stepping stones to bring us to the place where he wants us to be and he can take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. So that's my story. And if it can be an encouragement to you, may the Lord use it for that purpose. God bless you.
1: Well, it's my turn to give my testimony. I just loved hearing Larry's. You know, one of the simple things we could say at a time like this is simple testimony. I am a great sinner and God is a great Savior. End of story. And that's a lot of the story, isn't it? And anybody who's been in a place where they had to tell their testimony. That really is the essence of it. As I was thinking about this time of giving a testimony, you know, why do we give testimonies? And Larry said it well. He said that one of the reasons we give testimony is a very effective evangelistic tool. If you think about the Apostle Paul, he told his Damascus Road experience at least three times. If you read the book of Galatians and 2 Corinthians particularly, you find that he used his personal testimony to, to help explain the gospel so that it could be related. You know, of who, you know, Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, the Apostle Paul said. Talked about the thorn in the flesh, talked about the third heaven. He talked about his Damascus Road experience, talked about speaking tongues more than you all. He used his own experiences because somehow they do connect. Well, my story should be a lot simpler, except that it didn't get started right, and so it makes a uh, a story that I would rather all of you would have a testimony. If you get to be fifty years old like I am, and you have to give your testimony, you would have a story a lot more like Larry's. That would be my heart for all of you. Uh, my story is is much more difficult and and convoluted and and places in it that's uncomfortable but it certainly maybe will help some of you I don't know my background is is German Baptist which brings with it its own own interesting uh, story just because of of that background one of the things about that is that the the home life situation at least in Indiana where I grew up it was expected the young people would sow their wild oats. It was the theological position in that particular area, especially not so much out west where Joe Root comes from, but certainly in Indiana, he was expected to live like the world because you were a part of the world. It was a theological understanding. The young people are in the world, and they are out there, and then they might get converted, and they might come, and that's that was the background. That I came from and so I took part in all that there was the you know the drugs and the alcohol and the rock music and the movies and the whole thing that goes with being in the world the world address and uh, they just just everything the difference was in my particular experience my dad did not like that that was pretty much the world we were in but he was one of the first people in our setting to take us children out of public school and always somehow believed that it didn't have to be that way. So he wanted to raise a godly home, have a godly home, godly family. Uh, had a we had Bible reading in our home twice a day pretty much, at least 5 days a week. My dad tried very hard. And there was a time in my life I sort of, you know, when I especially when I was wrestling with things, well, you know, the reason why I had such a struggle was because of my culture. But, you know, as the years have went by, I realized that I was drawn away of my own lust and enticed. That is what caused me to sin. And I rebelled against my parents. I was, you know, one of the things that I think about whenever I sing the song, the 90 and 9 is safely lay. You know, there's sheep out there. I think are good sheep. In many ways, they grew up in a Christian home. Their hearts are towards their parents. Their hearts are towards good and right. No, they haven't been born again. No, they don't know Jesus Christ. The Spirit hasn't come into them. But their hearts are turned to goodness and truth and rightness. They don't really want to be a rebel. God hasn't come in and changed what's inside of them. But there's something in them that's good. That wasn't me. I wanted my sin. I wanted to live like the world. And I, I remember quite distinctly, and you know, I was, you know, I had a driver's license, and, and uh, I remember the the first time I began to wear a seatbelt because I was afraid to die. And I hated that. I did not, I didn't want those thoughts. I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted to live in the world. I wanted to be a sinner. I I had no interest in being a Christian. And I don't know, you know, in that setting, there really wasn't anybody to talk to about it. I'm not sure I even wanted to. I had uh, wrestled with, I had been a, an avid reader and had read everything that I shouldn't read and nothing that I should have read and, and was wrestling with atheism and evolution. And, and I, was, I was definitely of two minds. But as time went on, I, that kind of went away. I remember telling a friend of mine, "I said, I'm not sure what to do. I realize I'm not an atheist anymore. I'm not sure what that means. I now believe there's a God, but I, I'm not sure I want to serve Him." You know, that was some of the conversations I remember having at 16, 17 years old. And I was uh, only one girl was ever in my life, and that's the, the woman I'm married to, and we were dating which was, we didn't have courtship. We had dating in that setting. And God began to work. I began to realize that I was going to make a need to make a decision. And I wasn't liking it. Didn't want to make the decision. I don't know, you know, some of you maybe have a little different experience, but I didn't want to serve the Lord. I, uh, I had other things I wanted to do with my life. But God... Uses any experience in any situation. And for me, one thing that was very strong in my mind, I wanted to be the head of my home, and I believed in duty, and I knew that someday I would serve the Lord even if I didn't want to. And that was just, just a given. I knew that was going to happen. So, and I, I don't know, even at the time, I realized that America was taking place. And I look back on it, I still realize that was what was happening. My wife-to-be was going to Ohio, and she was going through Her grandpa was in the process of dying, and and it was a a big event. And she was going to Ohio. She was going to be there. That's where grandpa was at. And I knew that when she came back, I knew that just as well as I know that I'm standing here, that she was going to come back, and she was going to say that she wanted to be baptized. And of course, in that world that we were in, that basically meant she wanted to serve the Lord. And there it was. I Several days went by, and she was gone, and I knew that she was going to come back, and she was going to say she wanted to be baptized. And God used that time to work on a really hard heart. And sure enough, that's what happened. I took her out to eat. She came back from Ohio. And that's exactly the way it happened. Just within, just like I expected. Well, you know, that was confirmation that God was calling. So we were both baptized the same, in the same time frame there, one day apart. We was in two different church districts. And, you know, I can, I'm not very proud of any of that. It was a very, you know, it was very dutiful in many ways. I was doing the right thing because I knew it was the right thing. I knew it needed to be done. I knew that if I died, I was going to go to hell. And I knew that I needed to make this step. And I don't know, you know, I've often wondered what happened there. You know, some of you know we asked the question, and I think Larry asked, "What happened back then?" I've I've went back and asked that question a lot of times. What happened when I was 18 years old? And I don't know for sure if I can answer all of it, but I can say this much: something changed inside of me. You know, no matter how imperfect your conversion story might be, no matter how odd it may sound, if something changes inside of you inside of your heart your the the you know that compass begins to be aimed to the north at all times when the when you just can't really sin and be comfortable anymore then that means something changed and i remember telling one of my friends i said i don't know but i'm not the same person i was i remember saying that quite clear. Another interesting thing about that was I had a lot of health problems in those days, and they basically went away. Uh, not quite, but I was essentially as healthy as most normal folks after that. So something happened. As I look back on it, you know, what happened there? One of the things that I would I would notice is that I was called out of the world at that time. I did make a choice, and I was no longer a part of the world, I had a different understanding of of myself in relation to the world. And as, as the years went by, I found an analogy for it. I felt like that somehow I had found a way across the Red Sea. I had left Egypt, and I was across the Red Sea. I was with the people of God. I was heading the right direction. But it was a long time till I made it across the Jordan River. ...into the Promised Land. That was a, it was a long journey. and That's the best analogy I can use. I was definitely walking in the right direction. I was, you know, in many ways I was not a hypocrite. What was wrong there? One of the things I want to say, bef- no matter what through all this, was that I had an understanding of worldliness. I had an understanding of sin. I had a fear of God. I had a lot of right doctrine. But one thing was missing... And I don't know who to blame here and blame myself, but I didn't have a full grasp that all of salvation is centered in Christ Jesus, that he, as a person, came and died for me. That was something I had very little deep understanding. of. I had a theological understanding, but it had not reached my heart. I knew those things were true. I'd like to talk about that just a little bit more before I end but nevertheless, that's the way it was. I was now out of, out of Egypt. I was across the Red Sea, but I was wandering around the wilderness. And one of the things that through that, I was a Bible reader. My dad had, had instilled that in me, uh, had family devotions and, and I read personally. I even wrote, wrote things down, made journals and, and wrote little articles. I'm not sure I had any of them published at that point, but I was very interested in the things of God. And through that, I came to really get interested in Jesus as a great teacher, as, as one who had taught the way perfectly. And I was excited about the Sermon on the Mount and, the, and following Christ. He became my hero in a lot of ways. That would be one way I would describe it. And I wanted to be like Jesus. And I, I threw that to my zeal and my determination to be an obedient Christian I'm just an obedient church member. I was, I was going to the Bible and trying to understand how can I be the best Christian I can possibly be. And through that, I got caught up in a very, uh, conservative movement, a very caught up in a, in a, uh, we ended up actually in a church with horse and buggies and no electricity and automobiles and telephones and no gas engines. And we spent six years in that, in that setting. I will say I learned a lot there. We had uh, surprisingly uh, just basic concepts of Jesus Christ, salvation, the new birth. Some of those things were actually taught more clearly there than I had had been taught where I'd come from. Just a a clear understanding of who Jesus was. There was just, it was off focus. One of the things I've said, you know, as I try to understand what happened during that time, a lot of it was just a little off focus. There was a lot of uh, what I would now call social engineering. We were trying to engineer the kingdom of God. The best thing that ever happened to me, really, was that whole thing collapsed. It was; it just came unglued, and suddenly everything was that I had put a lot of my faith and trust in. I was; I was a good Christian. I was doing the right thing. I was following the Lord. I was; I was in the kingdom, and I was used by my church. The church was; I was very plugged in, very involved, and I, there was a lot of assurances that I am heading the right way, and it all came unglued. And there had been a, a lot of, of teaching there that, that if we just live like God wants us to live, His blessing will come upon our lives. All we do is we are obedient to God. We are obedient to His Word. God pours out His blessing. The church grows and prospers. Our children all come up in the Lord. And we are more and more holy. And I guess we all get to heaven someday. That seemed to be what we were, we were kind of believed. When that all came undone, I had to go back through and ask lots of questions. And one of the things was I had to come finally all the way back to the question of what does the Bible teach? What is truth? And a couple of things. One of the things that I really wrestled with in those days was, and this may surprise you, and maybe you don't even relate to it, but you know Colossians 2. Colossians 2, basically, if you follow them last five verses there, in Colossians 2, it essentially comes, sums up in one basic principle. What you do outwardly is not going to change what's in your heart. The thing, All the things you try to do, do, do will not change what's inside. And I had to come to grips with that, and I, for a while I wrestled with whether Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about. But I finally, as I examined that fully... And completely, I realized that in all the efforts, and this is several years that went by, in all my efforts to serve God, there were still things in my heart that had never been changed. There was just a basic blackness inside of my heart that was still there. So no matter what I had done, it hadn't changed. So Colossians 2 was something I wrestled with a lot. Church, I ended up leaving there. The whole thing collapsed. Everybody left. We all left. And I spent the next several years just wallowing. What's truth? What is true? What's, what's reality? What does the Bible teach? What is, you know, I, I ended up questioning everything all the way back to the existence of God, all the way back to is the Bible true? Well, that didn't last too long. And I finally, I realized if I can figure out who Jesus is, then I will know what truth is. And I got an audio Bible. And I ended up going through the Gospels over and over again. I've had 35 minutes to work. And over and over again, I would go through the Bible, and particularly the Gospels. If I can figure out who Jesus is, then I will know what truth is. It took a little time, and there was several things happened. One man came in a conversation. He said, Clint, your faith needs to be completely broken all the way down Completely destroyed so that real faith can come forth. And that's, that was true. That was very true. That's exactly, as I look back on it, that's exactly what happened. The whole foundation of faith had to be destroyed so that I could find out who Jesus is. I have a hard time telling this story without being a little emotional. Sorry about that. Somewhere through that time, for me, it was a Gethsemane. You see, what Jesus was a doctrine... Jesus was a truth. Jesus was the plan of salvation. And somehow, one day, I realized that he was a person. He was a man. At some point, he decided to come here to rescue you and me. But then in Gethsemane, there in that garden before the cross, he had a cross before him. But he also had legions of angels he could have called. And he begged that that cross would be taken from him. That, that, Father, take this cup away from me. And somehow I saw a man there, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Making a choice to go, to get up off of his knees, not walk away from Gethsemane, not walk away from the cross, but walk to the cross. And I don't know what you see there, but for me, and it's still true, I see faith. I see him having to exercise the exact same faith that I have to exercise, that truly God has his hand in it all, even when we can't see the end, even when it looks painful, even when it don't look right. All we have to do is obey. So that was, before that, what had led up to that was as I was wrestling with faith, and I realized that if I died I wasn't sure what my state was. I knew what had happened when I was 18, but I wasn't sure where I was at because I'll tell you why. You know, this whole question of Calvinism, can you be saved? Or can you once saved, always saved? For me, I realized what the answer to that is. If you can lose your faith, you can lose your salvation. And I wrestled with faith itself. Am I going to hang on to real faith? And there I was, I realized my faith was weak, if existent at all, I was still clinging to God. I was still reading the Bible and still going to church and I was still trying to have family devotions and, and I was still being a Christian but my faith was weak, very weak. And so if I don't have faith, am I a Christian? If I don't have faith, how am I going to be saved? So I went down this road in my mind. What is between me and hell? What is between me and utter damnation? And I walked down, I, just, I walked down all the steps, doctrinal all the things that I believed, all the things that I was doing, all the things that, I, that was right and true, that was in my life. And I came all the way to realize none of that was going to stand between me and damnation except Jesus Christ. Now that maybe seems simple. Everybody knows that, right? But I, that was all had been doctrine, but suddenly it reached my heart. And that's how I came to the place of realizing that it was Jesus and Jesus only. It was between me and my sin, me and my condemnation, me and God, and me in heaven. It was just Jesus. So I wrestled with faith, and it was God gave me that picture there in Gethsemane. I finally got it. Jesus became a person to me, He became my, my Savior, and I praise God for that. That was, the, that was in a lot of things happened then, soon after 2004. I went to a leadership seminar. And one of the things that hadn't happened in my life, where there had never been a time of just burying my heart and confessing my sin, and I was there at leadership seminar, and there was actually some other German Baptists there. And I decided, you know, I could take somebody aside that I don't know, never met him, I'll never meet him again, I don't know him. I take him aside, and we could pray. I could confess my sins. And I said, you know, the best thing I could do is take somebody I do know. And there was actually a German Baptist minister there that day. I took him aside, and I went through all the sins I could think of. He confessed my sins, prayed to God, he prayed with me. And that was a, a beautiful experience. I was glad I did it, and I've, I have hold that man in, in high esteem ever since. It was a, it was a good thing. So yeah, I, I don't know. Do I have till three forty five? Is that right? Fifteen more minutes? Yes, I would like to somehow relate this message to you this story this testimony you know you you are all in a different place in your walk with the Lord you're all in a place where maybe you have a full assurance of salvation you know who God is to you you don't have any doubts any questions As I have wrestled through that, and thankfully almost all that's pretty far back in my past. But assurance of salvation doesn't come no matter how beautiful a story you can tell, no matter how powerful a testimony you have, no matter what I just said here. My assurance of salvation comes by faith. I believe it to be true. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away; behold, all things are become new. You reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. There's a reckoning and there's a believing. So, how do we how do we get to a place where we have an assurance of salvation? For me, whenever I doubt my salvation, I don't find that my salvation comes through what I have done, what I am doing, where I'm at in in my Christian walk. It comes strictly through believing in the Jesus that died for me. That's where assurance comes from. If we're going to have an assurance to be able to, to walk fully, knowing that I am a saved man, it don't become because you did something, or even that you have a wonderful testimony, or even that God has worked in your life, You know, Judas had done miracles. Think about it. Jesus done miracles for Jesus Christ. He was sent forth with the disciples and cast out demons, did miracles, walked with the Lord, heard Him, experienced the miracles, and yet He was damned. So no matter what your experience is, He didn't believe in the Jesus that is, the God that is, the God that's true and real. Some other, Another lesson I might uh, throw out there here is that at the time when I came to full saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it became so real and so powerful that I found myself, and like a lot of people do who are in a conservative setting, they wonder, well, all right, what's all, what was all that about? All this obedience and all these these disciplines that, that we plain people are involved in. We, we don't have... You know, television and we try to stay away from worldly entertainments and we dress in a certain way and we, we believe in church discipline. We're under authority and all this stuff. And I've got Jesus. All that was a waste of time. And I really came to a place where I wondered what church was even about. Why do we bother with it? Why do we go on Sunday mornings? Why are we under authority? Why bother with all that stuff? But I had one thing different than a lot of people do. I had seen that happen before. People had been under a bondage, been under a a load, felt like they they were legalistic. They felt like that they had been oppressed. And now they found Jesus, they found freedom, and they raced out into the world and they were gone. And I had seen that happen over and over again. I said, I'm not going there. And I just stuck tight. And I haven't regretted that sticking tight. I realized that God has a kingdom. He has a visible kingdom. He has a people of God. And He has authority in that people of God. And there's pastors and, and elders and, and deacons. In the, and the body speaks. And we, we are a part of that. That's very biblical and very right. And I am very glad that I decided to stay put until I settled down. Because I'd seen a lot of people that had just raced out there. And now they're gone. That was a a horrible, I've seen that too many times. And I'm sure some of you can testify you've seen the same thing. Very, very regrettable. Another thing, I didn't know if I would make this a part of my testimony or not. You know, as God works in your life, you know, I think for most of us, there's not very many times that we and we can really say you know God spoke to me, and God God is very was very clear. I just described two different instances there where God seemed to speak very clearly to me, and I guess a part of my testimony is that he did a third time. The third time was about a year and a half ago in October, I was ordained and The ordination was coming up, we knew it was, Chris had told us it was happening. On the other hand, I'd kind of known it was probably going to happen for a while. And I'm not sure what I thought when he announced it, that we needed to have an ordination. But I know that over a period of months there that between that time I realized that there's a really good chance that God is calling me. And I'm not sure what all I thought. But one of the things was a certain amount of dread, a certain amount of burden. Why me? Is not somebody else can do this? But the thing that was really battling with and had been battling with for an, a while, I had been doing quite a bit of preaching up till then, and I battled continually through that time with a sense of futility. Why bother with preaching? Why bother with all this work? Nobody pays attention anyway. Preaching is a total waste of time. You get all done, everybody goes home and promptly forgets it. I was wrestling with that pretty hard. The whole idea of beginning in leadership and having to deal with that more often was a pretty big burden to me. So, two things happened, and I won't spend much time in detail, but God did lay upon me one day His burden for His church, for His people. I got a little glimpse, it was a miraculous glimpse, I think, of what God sees when He sees the world, the struggling, failing, sinning mankind. And in that moment, I at least was willing. But I still wrestled. I still wrestled. Why is it such a waste of time? And I, don't, I wasn't reading Ezekiel. I wasn't thinking about Ezekiel. But God took me to the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. And you all know the story has been used a lot in evangelistic messages on the Valley of Dry Bones. And what I saw there that day was just clear. It it, it hit me so hard, it brought me to tears. As God called Ezekiel, He said, Ezekiel, preach to the bones. Preach to the bones. What a waste of time to preach to bones. But Ezekiel did it. Did Ezekiel bring those bones together and put the sinews and the skin on those bones? No, God did it. But God asked Ezekiel to preach to the bones. And then there was these bodies laying there and God says, preach to the wind. So he preached to the wind. And God blew on those bodies. And breath came to those bodies. And I realized... It was just almost in a moment. I realized that's all God is asking us to do is to preach. He's asking us to, to call forth, to speak forth the gospel. He'll take care of the rest. He'll do it. It's not my problem. What happens after I go leave the pulpit? It is God's problem and God will take care of it. He will, He will breathe life into the dry bones. And that was, that was where God brought me. So those are the three times. Three instances where God spoke to me, and I do not that don't happen often. I don't feel like that was, you know, that's not a very profound story. A lot of people have heard God a lot more clearly than I have. So maybe God can use these experiences to, as you go through your life, you're younger. You know, we was talking about a little while ago, you younger people, your know, testimony can probably be pretty short, especially you that grew up in a Christian home. I would be glad if it's short. I would be glad if you don't have nearly as long a story as I do. If you don't have a long story, praise the Lord. That's a good thing. Just as clear. I don't regret the the detours. God was in it. God walked me through it. He was there through it all. And I think that's the main thing. When you reach that Gethsemane in your life, you will have a choice. Will you get up off your knees and go forward, or will you give up and go back? You have the same choice Jesus did over and over again. Sometimes every morning you have the choice to get up from your knees in Gethsemane and go to the cross, or get up from your knees in Gethsemane and run.